What up, Ring Crew Army, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Marie Shadows, and on this episode of the Square Circle Podcast, we'll be discussing just the main event of AEW Revolution that debuted on March 7th, 2021. So if you heard any of my previous podcast episodes and podcast episodes I've been on as a guest, I have said that there was no need for an exploding barbed wire death match between Kenny Omega and John Moxley. The only reason why I was against the idea, because I don't want to see neither guy get extremely hurt. And I don't want to see neither guy have their career shortened when they could tell a lot more stories in the future and the years to come with AEW and also with all the partnerships that are happening. So I was looking at it from a very cautious side and I get it that they're telling the story that John Moxley doesn't want to stay down. John Moxley doesn't want to die. John Moxley still wants to go after the AEW world championship title because on December 2nd, 2020, there was definitely interference. There was definitely cheating going on and John Moxley lost the title. However, I still believe that Hangman Adam Page is due for a championship chase and a championship run when he gets there. I have no idea when that's going to happen. But for this main event of AW Revolution, I watched it. I actually enjoyed it. I didn't hate it. And I think the reason why I enjoyed the main event is because it was the most safest, explosive barbed wire death match ever. It was definitely not how all the videos were on Twitter, and it was definitely not how the original one definitely was. You know, like I said, I don't want either guy to get hurt. I wanted both guys to be safe. That's all. Were they safe? They were absolutely safe. Inside the ring, they were telling a fantastic story. You know how I usually go into breakdowns of the matches? Well, I'm not really going to do that. For this one in particular, I'm going to give you some highlights for this main event and then also talk about the fact that the post-match comments along with the media conference didn't really sit right with me in terms of how to push story further. So we're going to look at it from all the angles that I can possibly see. But right now, if you are new listening to this podcast, I welcome you as a new listener and definitely as a new viewer. If you're watching this over on the YouTube side, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on notifications, give the video a like, and also leave your comments about AEW Revolution. And if you are on the audio side of listening to this podcast episode and you're on anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast, you can definitely leave me a voice message, which will just be similar to leaving a comment, but you're definitely talking and I'll listen to it and I'll play it on the podcast if need be. And you can also tip me over on the anchor page by just simply donating whatever you feel is comfortable. It is not mandatory. It is all on your own accord to tip me for my services of talking about professional wrestling and trying to bring some value of professional wrestling into your life and knowledge. Anchor also does a great job of distributing my podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So if you listen to any other podcasts on those platforms, please make sure to give me a follow on there so you never miss a notification. Now, let's jump right back into the main event of AEW Revolution. I do want to say, though, that AEW Revolution as a whole 
judging it from my Twitter timeline, it was 50-50 from both sides. And I think it got to that once we got to the main event. And at the end of the main event, that's when it just turned around to something different. Let me just quickly talk about the match card. And from the knowledge that I know, this is definitely not going to be a deep dive into AW Revolution. I will probably have to go back and rewatch the whole thing and give you my complete thoughts, my complete breakdowns of AW Revolution. But here we go. So the buy-in had Rio and Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker and Maki Ito was the surprise partner for Britt Baker because apparently Rebel was injured. So... This was a very fun match to start off the show. I do think that it would have been best on the main card and put Miro and Kip Sabian versus Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor in the buy-in and have the women on the card. Like, I really wish that could have happened because then Maki Ida would have had like a huger pop and it would have like made everything flow as well because you had that amazing Casino Battle Royale match and you know, the atmosphere would have went with it. It would have been a fun atmosphere. Regardless, all four competitors are really great in the ring. Maki Ito is really something special and she brings something unique to wrestling. Overall, like I said, this match was really fun to start out of the pay-per-view. We had Britt Baker and Maki Ito defeating Riho and Thunder Rosa in this match. After that, we end up having the main show and we have the tag team championship starting off everything. So our champions, the Young Bucks, who are the AEW tag team champions, are defending their belts against Chris Jericho and MJF. I personally think that Chris Jericho and MJF do not need to form a tag team. The main tag team of the inner circle should have always been Santana and Ortiz and then probably just some quick one-off tag team matches that maybe will feature Sammy Guevara and Jake Hager or Jake Hager and Chris Jericho, you know, any of those combinations, but just as like a one-off, not really like a, like how Santana and Ortiz are. Santana and Ortiz are a true tag team. So that's why it makes sense for them to be the official tag team of the inner circle. But then we got all this crazy storylines and crazy stuff here. And that wasn't the case. The team of the inner circle had to be Chris Jericho and MJF. So I managed to catch the highlights for this during Being the Elite, which drops today. Today is Monday, March 8th. So it looked really good. It looked like a really fun match to kick off the show. And at the end, the Young Bucks retained their AEW Tag Team Championships in this match. Next, we had the Casino Tag Team Battle Royale. And the final two was Ray Phoenix and Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy has all the talent in the world. And he always comes up short and I have no idea why that is. And it needs to be corrected. Either he needs to leave Jurassic Express and start training on his own and start developing more of his own style, which he really does. He has his own style. But like I need Jungle Boy to get some victories under his belt. I need Jungle Boy to start having this mean streak and going after gold and everything like he feels like he's just there as if like he's still learning how to navigate the jungle all puns intended that is professional wrestling while yes Jungle Boy got a victory over Dax from FTR that momentum where is that momentum you defeated a tag team specialist 
And you yourself, Jungle Boy, is in a tag team with Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt. And you have a victory over Dax. And where is that momentum? Why is that momentum not pushing Jungle Boy to the moon? Why wasn't Jungle Boy in the ladder match to grab the brass ring and and get yourself a TNT championship title match? Cody already had his shot at the TNT championship. There's no point for Cody to keep going after that belt. I understand he wants to completely uphold the honor of not going after the AEW World Heavyweight Championship title. But Jericho is no longer champion. I know he gave his word, but there's some technicality and some loopholes to where maybe he can insert himself into that storyline. But let that be a couple years down the line. I still need Hangman to take the belt off of Kenny Omega. And I hope that by the end of 2021, we get that somehow. Somehow we get that storyline in there. Anyway, back to this tag team Royale match. So Ray Phoenix eliminates Jungle Boy and that allows Death Triangle, the team of Pac and Ray Phoenix, to get a future tag team title shot against the Umbucks. After that, we get the AEW Women's Championship match. Hikaru Shida is our champion versus Ryo Mizunami. I apologize for messing up her name. The winner of this match is definitely Hikaru Shida. She retains the championship title. I apologize. I did not get to see this match yet, but I will see this match and give you my complete thoughts on it. I do know that it's probably the most hard-hitting style of wrestling matches that AEW has had on their show and pay-per-views. And it's definitely straight out of New Japan Pro Wrestling and definitely stardom. These two women know each other, so it was probably one of the best matches that they probably had. Whenever it comes to certain wrestlers, they always give it their all and have this magnificent chemistry where you could be like, yep, that was going to be a good match, even if you didn't watch it. After that was the tag team match that featured Miro and Kip Saban versus Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor. I honestly do not care for any of these men in this match. I really don't. I don't know where they're going with Miro and Kip. I never got invested in Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta. I just never got invested in those guys, so I can't really say anything. The winners of this match happen to be Miro and Kip defeating Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor by submission. Next, we get Hangman Adam Page versus Matt Hardy. I still do not know why this match needed to happen. I do not know where this falls into the Hangman storyline. Like, I really don't know. I already said my piece about Hangman Adam Page just floating around in the AEW universe and nothing is really happening. I love the fact that Hangman is hanging out with the Dark Order more and they're forming this friendship. However... Hangman and Page needs to buckle down and challenge Kenny Omega by the end of the year. The winner of this is Hangman Adam Page by defeating Matt Hardy with a pinfall to win all of Matt Hardy's first quarter earnings. Next, we get the Face of the Revolution ladder match with featured Cody Rhodes taking on Penta, taking on Scorpio Sky, taking on Lance Archer, taking on 
Max Caster, and then our secret person that entered this ladder match, Ethan Page. So if you guys remember back on Impact, Ethan Page had his farewell match against the Karate Man and Impact really gave us a different version of what Ethan Page had wanted us to watch. So he took some time off and to get recharged and he is now all elite and he entered into this ladder match to get a possible TNT title opportunity. I could tell you one thing, Ethan Page's arrival is definitely overshadowed by Christian signing a contract and being the hype person that had the wrestling community buzzing for the past week. But either way, Ethan Page is back in the wrestling ring. I'm going to say right here on this podcast, I do not understand his hype. I really don't. I get it. He's probably a good worker. He could put on the show. He knows what to do. But as far as me getting behind him as a fan, I'm really not. I just do not understand the hype behind Ethan Page at all. Anyway, let's talk about the name of this ladder match. It's the face of the revolution. And they had ladders and then they had a brass ring hanging down above the ring. And I really need AEW to stop coming up with gimmick matches. Or I really need Cody Rhodes to stop coming up with gimmick matches. Do I think that that was a shot at WWE? Possibly not. Possibly yes. I think that because you work in a particular company for X amount of years and then decide to leave to pursue greener pastures and explore the other side of professional wrestling, which is the Indies, and then you have Japan and you have Mexico and you have everywhere else, that the stigma of working in a company beforehand where you're used to a certain schedule, you're used to these gimmick matches because that company is all entertainment. And when you go venture out, it's not going to leave you as quickly as you think it would. And you might feel like it left you. But then again, you're doing matches that are called face of the revolution. Every single match that Cody has been in or made in AEW has been some type of gimmick style match. It may not be heavy in the gimmick style match, but there are just certain elements that you know it's a gimmick match. You know it's poking fun at WWE. You know that it's just there to rile up some of the audience that will go on Twitter and will say that AEW needs to stop taking shots at WWE, which I totally agree. They need to focus on their guys and just focus on what they're doing. Like, I wouldn't have a problem if hanging above the ring was a clipboard with a piece of paper on it to be like, hey, this is your contract. It's a TNT thing or just create something new. You know, when it came to TNA back in the day and they created the X Division division and the x division matches what did you fight for you fought for that x that was hanging above the ring and you got your opportunity to fight the x division champion did they take a shot at wwe no because they didn't have to put a brass ring above the ring to be like oh look guys you're gonna have to grab the brass ring and break through like there's other vocabulary you can use to describe your situation to try to break through a glass ceiling or break through a brass ring you just got to work harder than everyone else and outsmart everyone else in the ring by upping your game but then again when you're in interviews and you're on the fly talking sometimes those common words just come out because that's what 
you're thinking on the fly. You're not really thinking to talk smart in the interviews or to actually slow down and be like, hey, well, let's dissect this and not use the terms of brass ring and glass ceiling. But I'm getting away from the concept. I just don't like matches where Cody is like, let's have a gimmick match. But it's not really a gimmick match. It's just going to have elements of a gimmick match. But we're going to call it the face of the revolution because who is really the face of it? And it's like you have all these guys. Everyone is supposed to be equal. Like, I don't know. I just don't like gimmick matches that have to prove a point to drive a story. You know, we could definitely drive a story without having face of the revolution. It could just be a simple ladder match for the TNT title opportunity. And, you know, Cody Rhodes wants it because he wants to gain the belt back. Lance Archer has something to prove as well to gain some gold. Scorpio Sky has everything to prove in this match. Everything. Scorpio Sky should have been on that rocket ship and then go all the way to the moon. But unfortunately, him with the injury, you know, things had to slow down. But Scorpio Sky should definitely be the breakout star and should have been the breakout star when AEW started. Penta has a lot of things to prove. I just don't know if he wants to be a singles competitor or he still wants to be a tag team competitor. We'll see what happens. Max Caster just got there. So I really can't say anything except for I need him to up his rap game. Austin Gunn is way better than Max Caster in the rap game. And then Ethan Page just came in. So I don't think it would be fair to give him the TNT title opportunity just yet when he needs to settle in and basically... Tell us why he's there. So the ladder match happens. Cody Rhodes took a Canadian destroyer on a ladder. Why does Cody have to do this to himself? Cody always takes the most risk in any of his matches. And I understand why. And then people talk about it. So I guess you want to be the talk of the town. It's cool. But I'm here like, you really going to take a Canadian destroyer on a ladder with a messed up shoulder? Which, by the way, his shoulder got hurt in the match and then they took him out and then he came back and whipped Ethan Page with that weight belt just so that way he could try to get back into the match and try to grab that brass ring for that opportunity. It just feels like he books himself to be the overall star and the talk of the town. While there are other people in the match that can get themselves over and be the talk of the town, again, I said this on the podcast before, who are we always talking about? We're always talking about Cody Rhodes in any of the matches that he has in AEW. Are we talking about any of his opponents that has either beaten him or or just beaten him? Like, no. We don't mention the fact that MJF defeated Cody Rhodes anymore. MJF is hanging out with Jericho. We don't talk about the fact that Lance Archer lost to Cody Rhodes and Lance Archer should be settling his loss with Cody Rhodes at some point, like actually settling it. But no, when it comes to Cody Rhodes matches, depending on who he's fighting, it's always like a one off and it's always like 15 minutes of fame. And what I'm really happy about in this latter match is that Scorpio Sky got the victory. And I believe he knocked off Cody off of the ladder in order to get the brass ring. And there goes storytelling. There goes a really good storytelling tactic because 
Scorpio Sky couldn't get the job done when Cody Rhodes was doing the open challenge for the TNT Championship title. And we all thought that that day it was going to change hands and it should have changed hands that day. So now Scorpio Sky gets a future TNT opportunity against Darby Allen. I already mentioned that Christian was the surprised future Hall of Famer that signed with AEW. Congrats to him. After that, we get Sting and Darby Allen versus Brian Cage and Ricky Starks. This is a street fight. It was definitely cinematic. I didn't get the chance to fully watch it. But the winners of this match is Sting and Darby defeated Brian Cage and Ricky Starks via pinfall. Now we get to the main event of AEW Revolution, which is the exploding barbed wire deathmatch. Kenny Omega, who is our AEW world champion, taking on John Moxley. John Moxley, like I said earlier, wants revenge against Kenny Omega and definitely wants the AEW world championship back because on December 2nd, there was some cheating, even though, you know, it's wrestling. You got to make sure you keep your championship titles by any means necessary. Kenny Omega, on the other hand, wants to get rid of John Moxley once and for good because he has been a thorn in his side for the past two years. And at every wish turn, John Moxley has shown up and Kenny issued this exploding barbed wire death match to see if John Moxley would back down. But no, John Moxley is like, I will take you on anytime, any place, anywhere, doing whatever it is that you want. So this plays right into John Moxley's wheelhouse of wrestling. He loves the hardcore stuff. And this was actually a really good match, even though I felt like we didn't need it. Because again, I want more safety for the guys, especially with Kenny Omega and John Moxley. These guys could tell amazing stories and not everything has to be violent. But I just want both of them to be safe. This was really the most safest exploding barbed wire death match to watch. And everything in there made sense. The storytelling was great. Even having Don Callis on commentary and the commentary team doing a great job to hype this up to make it feel like a feel good match where you know that you're going to see some exploding stuff, but you know that hopefully a guy's ear is not going to fall off. A guy's finger is not going to fall off. You know, a limb is not going to go into the crowd or something. So here are the highlights of the match. It starts off with Kenny and John Moxley trying to figure out exactly what to do in the beginning because the moment that you throw somebody into the ropes, it goes an explosion. So neither of them wanted to feel that at first. But then as they started to get into it, John Moxley got busted open early, but he continued to fight. He was even thrown into one of the barbed wire cover boards that were propped up in the corner of the ring. And then John Moxie comes in with a drop kick to Kenny Omega and Kenny got sent into the ropes and there goes an explosion. He also got sent into the ropes chest first as well during the match. John Moxley does the paradigm shift on Omega, but they do it on one of the boards on the outside of the floor that had landmines under them. And that explodes as well. Another great highlight in this match was when Kenny Omega did the one-winged angel to John Moxie. And when he went for the cover, John Moxie couldn't kick out. John Moxie couldn't hold the rope to cause a rope break. So what he did was that he put his foot on the rope to cause an explosion. And that 
allowed the referee to stop counting and the match continued. The match continued until the point of the Good Brothers coming out to help Kenny Omega. They gave him a explosive barbed wire bat. And as John Moxie was beating up the Good Brothers with the non-explosive barbed wire bat, after he was done, that's when Kenny came in with his own weapon. Bam, hit him. It exploded. And Kenny went for the cover. John kicked out. And then finally, they brought a chair into the ring. And Kenny Omega did the one-winged angel on the chair to John Moxley. And that allowed Kenny Omega to pick up the one, two, three, remain our AEW champion. And now all three men are attacking John Moxley. The Good Brothers handcuff John Moxley because they know that when the clock strikes on the 30-minute mark, that the ring will explode. So... We finally get the countdown. It's happening. Eddie Kingston comes out. The Blade and the Butcher and the Bunny are there. They're trying to stop him from going into the ring because everyone knows it's going to explode. And I just thought that was beautiful storytelling from Eddie Kingston. So the storytelling of the Good Brothers coming out, really great. The storytelling of Eddie Kingston coming out to save John Moxley, his best friend, was amazing as well. So he comes out, tries to wake up John Moxley to be like, yo, we got to get out of here. And as the timer is counting down and it's starting to hit to zero, Eddie Kingston covers John Moxley with his body. And then we get this explosion that happens. But it's not really an explosion. It's just visually it looked weak, but we could definitely turn this into story. So we're going to do a little bit of kayfabing here. But visually, it looked weak. In my mind, the way that Eddie Kingston was selling so hard on the fact that the ring was going to explode is sort of like a missed opportunity when it came to giving John Moxley a live mic. So let me get into why I didn't like the fact that John Moxley was given a live mic. So first of all, you kind of destroy the mystique of this being a very important hype of a match where anything can happen and both lives are at stake here. So John Moxley grabs the mic and he says that Kenny Omega may be a tough son of a bitch, but he can't make an exploding ring worth a shit. And then during the media press conference that was the post-show conference of the AEW Revolution pay-per-view, Tony Khan also doubles down on what John Moxie has said and makes it canon for story. And I'm like, but that doesn't help your champion at all. I mean, all right, let's look at it from this perspective. It helps Kenny Omega if Kenny Omega is trying to tell the cowardly story, even though he drew the schematics and the rules of this barbed wire match in crayon, but couldn't manage to get the job done by having the ring explode and take out John Moxie for good. Then maybe on AEW Dynamite, have Don Callis explain that Neo Omega is his prize wrestler is his cash cow and he would never want Kenny Omega to be injured that bad to where he can never wrestle again and it was only meant for John Moxie so John Moxie cannot be there but just to have Don back up Kenny Omega to be like well 
Kenny issue this to be like, hey, let's see if John Moxley could back down. But that backfired, so they had to go through with it. But Callis will never truly put Kenny Omega's life in that much danger to have an actual explosion happen if Kenny Omega did not get out of the ring in time and if Kenny Omega did not manage to get that one, two, three before the 30 minute time limit. Like Don Callis was never going to put him in that type of predicament, but he would have put John Moxley in that type of predicament because that's the whole story, right? The whole story is that Kenny Omega is trying to get rid of John Moxley because he's always there at every turn trying to get the title back. So why not save your client? Fuck the other guy in a way, right? The other perspective too is that you throw Kenny Omega under the bus even though he was the one backstage at AEW Dynamite being a madman working on the exploding barbed wire death match and making it how he wants to make it. So, you know, at that point, he probably messed up one of the explosions. So that's on him. But then again, he should have the same stance as Don Callis that he was never going to put himself in that predicament. So, you know, Things happen, especially when you are an architect and you want to make sure that things go according to plan. But sometimes a mistake happens. The other perspective is this. Instead of saying that Kenny Omega can't build this contraption worth a damn. So how do you explain the fact that the Good Brothers came out to help Kenny Omega and then Eddie Kingston coming to risk his life for John Moxley? Like, why do you guys ignore that fact? We could have pushed story rather than trying to bury the champion who's trying to come up with fresh ideas and move the company along. Like, I took it as bearing Kenny Omega because I'm still a Kenny Omega fan and Kenny Omega came up with the match to issue this to John Moxley. And the comments just didn't sit right. And then to make it canon doesn't sit right. So... Again, I ask, why are we ignoring the fact that the Good Brothers came out? Obviously, the Good Brothers came out to help Kenny. And the time was getting closer to the 30 minute mark where we would have saw the explosion happen anyway. So the Good Brothers came out, saved their buddy. He's still AEW champion. And they're like, let's just beat up John Moxley. Leave him there because that was the whole plan from the beginning. Right. And then Eddie Kingston comes out knowing the dangers how can we didn't stop to think about maybe Eddie Kingston or the Good Brothers sabotage the way that the ending ending happened of that match? We didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about maybe Eddie Kingston sort of hire somebody to try and make it a dud of a explosion and then even though he's covering John Moxie, you never know what happens. Even if you hire someone to be like, Hey, can you make this bomb a dud? Anything could fly through the air and like hit both of them. And, you know, if we really want to think about it, that could have happened. Or the Good Brothers, knowing the dangers of the exploding barbed wire match, probably had their hand in also trying to make the bomb a dud. Why is it on Kenny Omega? Just because we saw him trying to fix up the exploding barbed wire match that it's his fault to me to have. John Moxley with a live mic while Eddie Kingston is selling so hard at the fact that he fainted from the fact that maybe there was going to be a huge ass explosion takes away from the mystique 
and the money making barbed wire match that they had it takes it away it sort of reveals more than what it should have revealed that's why sometimes i'm just like don't give moxley a live mic unless like he's gonna say thank you to the crowd he could have did that and then just walked away and you know head to the back and also to make sure that eddie kingston was okay but to throw kenny under the bus and to have tony Khan back it up and ignore the fact that the good brothers came out eddie kingston came out and not pushing those storylines to start something i don't know it just didn't seem right or appropriate to do and then also the fact that everyone on twitter goes after kenny omega for nothing there's people on twitter who go after kenny omega whenever he just types a simple tweet or simply breathes and people just go and attack kenny omega and then to mention that the bomb was a dud and going along with the storyline doesn't make twitter any better because then the trolls are gonna attach onto it and still attack kenny and blame kenny for the faulty duds and then blame him for the women's division and blame him for this and blame him for that and i know that kenny has put up with a lot of shit in his life especially in his career and he has managed to bulldoze through all of that and he has the wonderful fans including myself that will stick by him and defend him but don't give the trolls of twitter and social media the power to continue their toxicity towards your main stars don't do it that's why I think it also doesn't sit well with me that those comments were made. Like they should have capitalized on the fact that the Good Brothers were there. Eddie Kingston was there. And that's how it should have ended. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you enjoyed my analysis of AEW Revolution. Make sure to leave me your thoughts, your comments. You could do it one of two ways. The first way is if you're listening to this, the audio podcast via anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast. You can definitely leave me a voice message on Anchor and then I'll listen to it, play it on the podcast. If you are watching the video version of this over on the YouTube side, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on notifications, give this video a like and drop your comment down below. The more that we get people to sub and comment and like, the more the video will show up in the algorithm and more people can hear my perspective on AEW, all things AEW. So head over to youtube.com forward slash square circle podcast. Help me get to that 100 subscriber goal so I can have that custom URL. If you guys want to give me your comments on this podcast episode or any previous podcast episode, I am very active on Twitter. Follow me at Marie underscore shadows and we could definitely talk about professional wrestling there. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.